Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to Lessons in Jail from Guest Minister Rev. David Bast. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I'm going to tell you two assumptions that I'm uh, making uh, this evening. One is that you are serious churchgoers. (laughs) And the other is related to that. Because you're a serious churchgoer, you know your Bible. And I'm going to preach about the story of Joseph tonight, though I won't read it all. Actually, uh, we'd be here (laughs) quite a while if I did. I did a little research because I suspected this was true. More uh, attention is paid to Joseph in the book of Genesis than any other character. Uh, 386 verses, to be specific, by my quick rough count over a hundred verses more for the Joseph story than for the story of Abraham, the father of the faithful. So uh, clearly, this is a a person of great importance in the eyes of Genesis. And you know his story, so I'm only going to read one chapter of it, chapter 40. I'll actually uh, start with verse 23 of chapter 49. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, He saw that they were dejected, so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, In my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position 
and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. This is the word of the Lord. Joseph's story really is a roller coaster, isn't it? It's just one series of ups and downs. And you remember it. Yeah, so he started out going up. The favorite son of his father's favorite wife. And the beautiful coat, you know, remember when he was 17 or so? The coat of many colors, we learn to call it. Sometimes newer translations rather mundanely describe it as a coat with long sleeves. But I like the many colors idea. So life is good. But then it takes a sharp downward turn. His brothers are jealous, understandably. I mean, this dreamer, they call him. Remember the, the first dreams of glory for Joseph and honor from his family, bowing down like sheaves in the field or stars in the sky. So they grab him and rip off his coat and throw him in a pit, planning to kill him. These are tough guys, these brothers. As you also know from reading Genesis, uh, and then instead they decide to cash in on him by selling him to a, a passing caravan of traders who tie him to a rope and drag him behind a camel down into Egypt. Where once again his fortunes turn. He could have been sold to a, a, a pyramid builder, you know, and put on the end of a rope to drag rocks. But instead, he's sold to Potiphar, a military officer. And before long, uh, he's the steward of Potiphar's whole house. He's in charge of everything, so trustworthy, so talented, so gifted. And then another sharp plunge with the incident 
involving Potiphar's wife. And Joseph, though blameless, though upright, is thrown into prison. Probably lucky he wasn't killed on the spot. And there he languishes, but once again, being Joseph, uh, life turns better for him. He's made a kind of trustee, and the, the governor of the prison simply puts Joseph in charge of everybody, including his fellow prisoners. And there he is uh, when life once more turns disappointing. The, the, these officials are in prison. We're not, we don't know why, but they served at the whim of an absolute monarch, a, a tyrant, a, a potentate whose word was law. Something they did offended Pharaoh. We're not told what. These incidentally aren't uh, kitchen help. Uh, the, the chief cupbearer is not a sommelier. We know from the story of Nehemiah, he was a, a very important official, perhaps even a sort of prime minister in Egypt. And the chief baker may very well have been in charge of the commissariat uh, for Pharaoh's household. So these are important figures, and in the same night, each of them has a dream, and the dreams have very different meanings as Joseph interprets them with God's inspiration. He breaks the news a little harshly, it seems to me. I've always kind of felt sorry for that chief baker because Joseph says, oh, your head's going to be lifted up too <laughs> in a very different way from that of the cupbearer. And so it turns out, and Joseph, thought, he must have thought, at last, this is my ticket out of here because that cupbearer owes me now. I, I not only delivered the good news to him, he could very well conclude that I had something to do with this blessing. Surely he'll put in a good word for I'm innocent. I pled my case with him. I explained it, no doubt, in detail what had happened to me. He'll say the word to Pharaoh, and I'll be released. And of course, it doesn't happen. Hey, the guy's no sooner out of jail than he puts that bad experience behind him. Ooh, I don't want to dwell on that. Let's move forward, shall we? And at this point, this is the nadir of Joseph's life. This is the lowest of the low, as low as it gets for him. Two long years drag by. So what's going on? I, I think we can read this story um, and see ourselves in it. I don't think that's illegitimate. Uh, we also need to put it in the context of salvation history, and I'll hope to do that too by the end. But what can we learn from Joseph's experience there in jail? What, what are the learnings of this? We, we thought earlier in this service about the importance of waiting, about the day of trouble, as the psalmist puts it. 
What a, what a pregnant phrase, isn't it? The day of trouble. That's jail, isn't it? The low points in our lives. And jail for us isn't likely to be literal. Could be relational. Could be medical. Could be psychological. Could be spiritual. When you feel lower than low and you see no way out and you've been disappointed for so long, unanswered prayer, you're stymied. You know that, where that word comes from, actually, stymie? Any golfers here? It's a Scottish word that comes originally from golf. A stymie was when you had no shot at the hole. You were blocked. You had no clear path forward, stymied. And yet, at this moment, we are told this explicitly. The Lord was with Joseph. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The Lord was with Joseph. I wonder if he thought about that at all. If he realized that, or if it seemed, if he did, did it seem like a cruel joke to him? What? The Lord is with me? Reminds me of a great line from St. Catherine of Siena. Lord, if this is how you treat your friends, I do not wonder that you have so few of them. <laughs> it's a warning to us, isn't it? Not to judge our circumstances or project from them on to what God, where God may be or what he may be up to. And despite the fact that we know not to do it, we keep doing it again and again. I'm feeling great. I'm in a wonderful place. God is blessing me. God must be, God must be with me. I'm in a terrible situation. God has left me. God has abandoned me. We're, we're always doing that, aren't we? judging our circumstances by our feelings. And the story of Joseph, if nothing else, ought to cure us of that, let alone the story of Job. Things don't work that way in God's economy or in this world. We can't draw a straight line from where I am to what God is up to. Bad things happen to good people says the Bible quite clearly. Not only that, good things happen to bad people. It says equally clearly. He, he makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. So let's be, let's be careful about determining God's presence or absence based on the circumstances we find ourselves in or how strongly we feel about it. That's why it's so important to wait. Wait for the Lord. He's there. Here's another thing that strikes me about Joseph. God's presence with us is never passive. He is always doing something in us, first of all. Again, Scripture wants us to understand and realize, however painful the realization, 
that God uses the hard times to shape us. I am the vine. You are the branches. You must abide in me if you are to bear fruit. And every branch that abides in me, the Father will prune so that it may bear more fruit. That's a hard image, isn't it? That's a sharp, painful metaphor. But wise souls through the ages, from Scripture onwards, have said that suffering is the, the primary tool God uses to produce in us the fruit of Christ-likeness that he, he's looking for. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received access to this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of sharing the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in sufferings. Really? Because suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Thus the apostle. So, yes, God is working in Joseph's life, uh, but at this point, I think it's important for us to stop with a caution. This is a wonderful truth to remember. It's a truth to hang on to. When we experience hardship or suffering of whatever kind, it can be God's way of deepening our faith and expanding our empathy and our sympathy for our fellow sufferers. But it doesn't happen automatically. It only happens if we go on waiting and trusting in the Lord. Suffering actually drives some people right away from faith. Where was God? How could God let this happen? Forget about it. I'm done with that. Nor should we be too quick to approach our brothers and sisters and try to explain to them just what God is doing in their lives, in this situation or in that circumstance. I still remember my earliest days in ministry, the first week, in fact, after I was ordained, newly ordained, newly installed, pastor of a church, all on my own, all by myself. And somebody sent me a message that a parishioner was in the hospital. And I thought, to him, I hadn't been in a hospital since the day I was born, pretty much, <laughs> almost. But I thought, well, I'm the pastor. I, I guess I got to go. And I remember thinking, you know, if you're a pastor, there are two basic rules to remember, or, or for any Christian, any follower of Jesus, any human being who has a, a, an ounce of sympathy for a sufferer. Rule number one is show up. Just go. You got to show up as long as it's appropriate. Rule number two, try not to say something stupid. And I, actually, that, that works pretty well in the ministry, doesn't it, Ruth? I, I think it does. 
We are so tempted to explain God's ways to one another, aren't we? We want to drive some lesson home or make some point. We don't know. We don't know exactly what. We're tempted to look at this story and say, well, see, God is teaching Joseph management skills. He's getting him ready for when he becomes prime minister of, of Egypt. Here he is. He's running the jail. Uh, making connections with people. We don't, we're, we're not told that. All that we can say for sure is that suffering can draw us closer into the heart of Jesus if we accept it and endure it by waiting on the Lord, trusting that he is there with us, that we haven't slipped through his grasp somehow. Uh, you remember Paul's wonderful uh, words at the end of, of Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. His great goal, to be drawn into ever closer conformity to the Lord Jesus. Uh, that can turn our pain into something helpful, useful. So, God is with Joseph. God is working in Joseph. And here's the, the, the last thing I think that's important to see. God is working through Joseph, too. Because don't forget the purpose of this whole thing. We're told the story from beginning to end. Part of the problem uh, for Joseph is that he can't see what's just ahead, whereas we can. We can see around the corner, and we, can, we know where it's all going to, to end up and where it's all going to lead. And the, the truth finally comes out in chapter 45, that famous uh, interview with his brothers. After Jacob dies, um, and they're in the presence of Joseph. And uh, Joseph says to them, look, here's what's important. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He's made me a father to Pharaoh, so hurry up, go bring my father back. And then again, it's repeated in chapter 50 at the end of the story, just in case we missed it the first time. Jacob dies. Joseph's brothers sidle into his presence. Now they're a little bit nervous because they're thinking, you know what? Our father's dead now. He can, he can turn on us. And uh, it's not going to hurt Jacob anymore. He can do whatever he wants with us. And Joseph says to them, we often pick up that famous verse, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You remember that. That's part of it. But that's only part of it. It's wonderfully true. He says, God did all this in order to preserve life. That's the purpose of the whole thing. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good 
to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So don't, don't be afraid. This is the purpose. The reason God turned good out of, that, out, of, out of that evil was to preserve the lives of his people. Israel, at this point, 70 people. That's it. Their future was precarious. We, we think about the dreams of Joseph, and especially the climactic dreams when he's brought into Pharaoh's presence and, and by means of that interpretation is raised to his position of eminence and power. But don't forget, more importantly, God has a dream that unfolds as the story goes forward into the centuries. And God's dream is more important than Joseph's dream, dreams. God didn't do all this just so that Joseph could become prime minister of Egypt and end up life rich and famous and powerful. God's dream would involve his people ultimately producing one who would come as the savior of the nations. And the final purpose of God in all this is that one day every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in that great project, he invites us. So what is God doing, not just in you, but through you, to advance his great purpose in the world? Whatever it is, you can say yes to it and trust him to be at work. I was reading, at the same time I was reading the story of Joseph, I, I came across Psalm 37. And I think these are fitting words for us to close. We think of uh, the wonderful words of Psalm 27, Psalm 130. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is uh, plenteous redemption. But listen now, too, to these words from Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. In the name of the Father, 
the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we wait for you, and in your word we hope. Use us, we pray, in whatever pleases you, and however we may, to bring about your kingdom. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.